Hi, my name is Marcia Chatlin. I'm a professor of history at Georgetown University, but more importantly, I'm the host of Office Hours, a podcast. This is an opportunity to get a window into my world where I talk to students about the things that are most important to them. So please join us for Office Hours for the things we don't talk about in class. All right, Beyonce. <laughs> I know, just just the name. What? It's like this, this, she who can never be named. Oh my gosh, listeners, we are in my living room. I'm wearing sweatpants, which I often reference. Of course, Alex, producer extraordinaire, is so chic. She looks like she's like in a mod band. Oh my gosh! But we stop. say the word Beyonce, and we can't we, talk. We, we can't talk. Well, I so I have like a Beyonce thing. What's your thing? Okay, so that thing? No, no. it's like okay. So I'm not I'm not a member of the Beehive. Okay. No. Which is fine, right? Yeah, sure. But like the pressure all my students put on me to be a member, you know who you are, because they just they can't get enough, which is fine. Like I think Beyonce is interesting. I like her music. I don't go crazy for Beyonce, and I feel very insecure saying that. Yeah. Because I'm afraid the Beehive will come for me. So all of this is to say formation, excitement, and panic. How did you feel about formation? So I, I want to say that, Marsha, you are not alone. Um, while I love Beyonce's artistry, I think mm-hmm. she is arguably the best living performer out there. Like okay. I, I can I can say that just like from a stage mm-hmm. perspective. Um She's not my favorite musical artist. Neither. And oh I, my gosh. I've tried so Are hard. Are we coming I tried. out? I'm coming as, out. Like ambivalent, maybe even sometimes about Beyonce. I would say ambivalent. Oh my am, gosh! Am no one's gonna enroll in my class. No one's gonna. Ever. No one's gonna. Yeah, no one's gonna talk to me. My career has ended now, folks. So I'm it was a wonderful sh- ride. I'm so rest in peace. Like, oh my god! I know. I'm. I'm. I'm so heightened right now. Okay. So here's the thing. So. Formation. Yeah. Really fascinating imagery. Yes. Amazing kind of use of a critique of the state, of the police, of the failure of the state in Katrina. Um, excellent references to the 19th century. So yes. as a historian, I'm all about formation. What I'm not about is formation and general Beyonce projection. This is where I get uncomfortable. I think mm-hmm. I'm less... I think I'm more comfortable with Beyonce than the like weird projection that she inspires in people. Can you elaborate on that? Okay, so I feel like, so I reference Professor Facebook a lot in class, and the students are like, I can't think of a more depressing space. <laughs> but Professor Facebook is a lot of think pieces. And so sometimes I wish Beyonce could exist. Mm-hmm. There could be like one level of analysis, and then we step away. But then there's like the think piece about the think piece about the think piece. Mm -hmm. And then it's like formation changed my life. And then it's like, if you think formation's cool, you've been deceived. And then there's like a critique of capitalism. And it's like, yes, capitalism is part of this. Like she is a famous person who capitalizes on her talents. So the idea that like, I think this is what happens with Beyonce. I think that one of the things that I think feminism has taught me and what my life has taught me is about this kind of gray space. And like, when I go do my talks, I'm like, we're all living in the gray and we never embrace it. Right. And so like Beyonce can be as complicated as the rest of us. Like she can have a relationship to capitalism that is cozy and loving. And then sometimes uncomfortable when she deploys politics like the rest of us. Right. And so like when 
people like heap on Beyonce's like lack of politics. Sometimes it feels like a little bullying because it's like, well, Beyonce is steeped in a place and she's using her power for some specific things. And that's okay. I don't know. It's like, yeah. It ties into like the broader question of what is the responsibility of an artist in society, which is the eternal question. And one that we don't have great answers to how much should an artist be involved in politics and what is political art, right? Exactly. Is it, can art be good if politics is interjected? And there's some very contentious debates about this. Because, because politics are complicated and so, are, so is art. But I think sometimes we flatten art. So we're like, so one of the many Beyonce think pieces was like, you know, how dare she Katrina happened and it wasn't her reality. It was my reality. And that's Katrina. And that is true. Yeah. But I think the fact that you have this woman on a police car that is floating, there's depth there. There is richness there, you know? And so I just, I just sometimes I think that the, the dis- the excitement of seeing her in the public space mm-hmm. starts to cloud the judgment of people who could on normal days, you know, do a nuanced critique of most things, but like Beyonce gets involved and then it's like weird. It's I'm hesitant to say this. So now you're all <laughs> going to listen more carefully. <laughs> I know a group of people and they are writers and there has been a discussion among them who and this is actually a topic that has been brought up, wanting to write a piece about Beyonce and can you actually do it and be slightly critical and the fear of doing it and the fear of the beehive because it is real. It is out there. It is there. so real. They were trolling. Oh, my gosh. Who is the um, – there was, like, some rock and roll singer, maybe a country singer. Sure. Who was like, eh, Beyonce. And so the beehive has trolled his Twitter or his Instagram where all they do is put bees in the comments, which is, like, hilarious. Amazing. And so committed. They've been doing it for a year. I saw it on the Wendy Williams show. Yes, it was just great. Some like complications. Yeah, like sometimes but... I'm complicated. I like Wendy Williams and I like my national public radio. But no, they've they've been trolling. Oh my gosh, I have to we're gonna find this and put we're... this on the site. Yeah, we're gonna put this <laughs> up. This will be part of homework. It's it's fascinating. So all of that is to say, I think that Beyonce um is a really good introduction to the interview on the podcast today with um Alexis Oni Esley, who talks about black girl magic, because I can't think of a person who has embodied the idea of literally black girl magic than Beyonce. And so we had a really good chat about these issues. Today on Office Hours, I speak to Alexis Oni Esley, a senior at Georgetown University, about black girl magic. Hello, Alexis. Hi, Dr. Chatlin. How are you? How was your winter break? It was good. It was relaxing. I slept, and I don't get to do that a lot. Highlights? Highlights was the sleeping and the, <laughs> and right. the Netflix binging. Oh, what did you watch on Netflix that you loved? Jane the Virgin. Uh-huh. I started making the murder, but I'm not a bandwagoner, so I reeled back a little while. Just, just reeled back. <laughs> I like that. Okay, what else? Chef's Table. I rewatched um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, and it's pretty classic, but that woman is unstable. Like, I don't know why she's so romanticized. (laughs) And this, folks, is why I invited Alexis to the podcast today. Um, So a few weeks ago, you know, I always talk about in class how Professor Facebook just explodes in rage Mm -hmm. about a number of issues. So it could be like Flint water crisis or like Beyonce's new bangs. Like there's always something. (laughs) And the most recent one was about an article by Linda Chavers, which we'll post on the Tumblr site under homework. Um, 
about black girl magic and really resisting this idea. And you were the first person I thought about when I thought about black girl magic, not only because you are, but because I think that that hashtag and that idea is so emblematic of your generation's self-affirmation. And so I just wanted to get some of your thoughts about the idea of black girl magic, good or bad for black girls. Okay, one, honored that you thought of me. (laughs) Geeking out on the inside right now. I love black girl magic. I'm all about a personal hashtag, and I feel like that black girl magic is a rallying cry for all black women everywhere. When you're in a culture that constantly forgets about you or puts you down, black girl magic, I feel, is like you see another black woman, it's like, yes, black girl magic. It's less of a self-affirmation and self-dependence thing, but more of like a rallying cry. Okay, so this is an interesting one. So in this moment that you are in college, there's the ultimate black girl magic, who I'd say Michelle Obama embodies. Um, You have an opportunity to interface with popular culture representations of black women that I think are probably their broadest that they've ever been. I don't know if they're always at their best, but they're they're at their broadest. And I think that one thing that I've noticed traveling around the country and meeting a lot of young women of color is this real sense of solidarity and pride. And maybe this is just the world you've always known, but tell me a little bit about what that's like. I feel as if because of the internet and because of social media, you don't have to be in academia to feel this sort of sense of being in a group. I feel like black women in academia, they have this group sense about them because they're the only ones there. This is very accurate. Mm -hmm. Whereas with social media, you can feel connected to anyone everywhere. For example, my little sister just turned 17 today, and she is so woke. She can tell you everything about intersectionality. I didn't even know what intersectionality was when I was 17. And I asked her about it, and she said, oh, Black Twitter taught me. It's just a phenomenal thing. So where are you accessing kind of these ideas about feminism and about black women and the critique of their representation culture? Where do young women outside of the classroom find that? Honestly, I would say that most of my profound conversations about my blackness and my womanhood have come from 3 a.m. conversations at the Black House with my friends. Because a lot of the times, even as women's and gender studies major here, I find that race is often left out of the narrative to depoliticize the subject. But race is everything. And when you don't acknowledge it, you're not really acknowledging me and my feminism. And I think a lot of it is life experience and just talking to my friends about what they've experienced in exclusion. Well, one of the things that I also think is so interesting is that even in this kind of moment where we see so many representations of black women, there is a sense of invisibility in certain spaces. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, what does it mean to be invisible and hypervisible at the same time? Uh, okay, so there's this actress, Julie Delphi, who just mm-hmm. recently said that she wishes she was black because if she was black, then she wouldn't get criticism for being a writer. Yes. Yes. And totally acknowledging the fact that black women exist. And I posted that on my friend Crystal's wall, and the response was like, again, they left us out of the narrative again. And then you also, on the other side, have Mara Brock Akil and Shonda Rhimes, who are writing stories about black women for black women on primetime television. There's three stories about black women on primetime television. That's history. And it's just this weird interface where it's good for entertainment, but in real life, no one wants to acknowledge you or include you in the narrative. That's really interesting. So where do you kind of go to see yourself reflected back? I 
I would say as a child, I spent, I'm Nigerian, and I was raised by Nigerians. My mom told us our house was the Nigerian embassy. I live in middle of nowhere, New York. It didn't make any sense, but I believed it because I wanted to. And so a lot of the time when I would try to see reflections of myself, it would be in my aunts, with my grandmother, with my mother. But nowadays, I would say that I try to especially involve myself in things that have to do with young black women, who are the young black women that I would have needed help from when I was a little kid, you know? I volunteer with young girls in the black community. I teach at Dunbar, and I teach a lot of young women. And looking at them is sort of like a reflection of myself. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> um, so kind of trying to look around corners. You're a senior. Mm-hmm. You're, you're graduating in a few months. Yes, I am. <laughs> I miss you terribly. Um, what do you think is going to happen next? Like, where do you think you're going to see black women really making an impact? That is a very, very good question. So I think there are a lot of frontiers. Actually, Shonda Rhimes just had a great speech at PGA where she said, I didn't blaze any trails. Like, I've been here for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think black women are everywhere. And it's just time for all of us to mobilize. We have social media on our side. People are somewhat paying attention to us. And when they don't, we grab Confederate flags from the sky. Like, nothing (laughs) is without reach. And I think the next frontier for black women may be fashion. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. I am really good friends with a consultant, fashion image consultant, curated by Cheyenne. She will appear on the podcast. (laughs) Follow the Instagram if you are not already. (laughs) And we have a lot of conversations about fashion, which is her passion. And I've noticed that black women are sort of occupying the space of fashion tech and fashion business, Mm -hmm. making sort of Uberizing it and making it more accessible or creating makeup brands that appeal to black women. It's like this is a genre that has totally forgotten the black woman. And now we are owning it and selling it and mobilizing. And I think that's where it's going. So you see this as like a major impact on the market. I and do. really mobilizing. And so where do we see you in all of this? Ooh, that's a good question. I hope I'm, I hope I'm there on the front lines, you know, rallying, battle crying. I, when I grow up, actually, I would like to be involved. I would want to be a Shonda Rhimes or a Mara Brock Akio. So. so you want to make television? I do. I do. Tell me about The Ideal Show. The Ideal Show. I think I love sitcoms. The Ideal Show would definitely be a sitcom. But I find that sitcoms that depict people of color have this weird, like, either they're portraying the talented 10th, the mom and dad are rocket scientists and their kids get straight A's. Or it's like Empire came from the show. Everyone is, like, so bankrupt. Exactly. I would like to see an intermediate. I would like to see a family like mine. My family is middle class. We're ridiculous. Great humor. (laughs) My Snapchat feed always gets really great responses whenever I'm home. I would like to see a family like that, and that's something I'd like to be involved in. And so when you think about these critiques of black girl magic, and at the heart of the critique is black women are not magic, and it because we are never able to insulate ourselves from the world's pain. And that part of what Linda Chavers was getting at in her piece was that it fills the kind of space that the strong black woman had once filled. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably the thing that I grew up with most. Yeah. Like, black women are so strong and they're impervious to pain and there's just, you know, nonsense ensues as a result of that thinking. So what do you think of that critique? 
I think that the black superwoman complex is something that definitely needs to be addressed in the black community. But the difference between the strong black woman versus her son who gets coddled because the world is so dangerous for black men is that she is alone. She has to be a village. She has to have the village on her back. Whereas black girl magic, it's like we are a community of black women. We've had this experience where we have to be alone and we don't have to be alone anymore. You talk about your friends, the things you talk about at 3 a.m. at the Black House, which is Georgetown University's cultural house for African-Americans. What are some of the things that young black women are talking about on college campuses? Funny that you asked. This past weekend, a bunch of us were at the Black House watching Dreamgirls. Oh, <laughs> the original the remake? The 2006 Beyonce, Jennifer Hudson, yes. Okay. But we talked about Jennifer Holiday, and we're going to watch the original soon. Love that. And we were just talking about body image, and we were talking about fat. Because some of us ta- mentioned that the fact that butts are such a big deal, but why isn't my stomach fat a huge deal? <laughs> Which I is a valid argument. It yes. is a good argument. And there were also black men there, and black men were just like, oh, it's just the way we're conditioned. That's how we were raised. That eye roll is necessary. That's what we believe. And then the black, it was sort of turned into a men versus women conversation where it was like, I don't understand why I'm trying so hard to get my butt bigger and my stomach flatter when it's just moving the fat from one place to another. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What else are you talking about? We also talked about the black community on Georgetown mm-hmm. because my personal opinion is that sometimes while it's united, it also could be divisive, divisive because we have so many different sects. There's Afro-Latinas, there are Africans who are separate themselves from the American black community, which is something I've experienced. It took me a while to call myself a black American. For a very mm-hmm. long time, I was an African-American. And that div- divisive nature can sometimes be our downfall because we don't unite over important issues. For example, someone is trying to—there's been a controversy over the Hoya Blacksa shirts. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of people who want everyone to be able to wear the Hoya Blacksa shirts, and then there's a huge opposition that says, no, no one who's not black should wear the Hoya Blacksa shirts. What's the investment in the T-shirt? That's that's a good question. I think I don't actually own a Hoya Black shirt, which I'm a little salty about, but there's been a reorder. And some people are looking at the T-shirt as a way to make money and sell to non-black students on campus, whereas other students on campus are just like, this is ours, and it's good to have something that's ours, and why are we trying to insert capitalism into this and just make it for everyone? Wow, you guys are very complex. We are. I love it. I love it. Well, my last question for you, Alexis, and I've asked all of my guests this. If there's one thing that you wish all your professors knew about you or you could say, what would it be? I would say that sometimes, given the world we're living in the current climate, sometimes there was a video, there was a YouTube video about how sometimes just racism gets you down. That's me sometimes. I'm a very chipper and outgoing person, but sometimes I just look at the trending topics or the news headlines, and racism is really getting me down. Like, I wish I could call in sick because of all the racism and injustice in the world. So I wish that professors understand that and knew that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Alexis, best of luck to you. Thank you, Dr. Chatlin. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Office Hours, a podcast. Office Hours, a podcast, is a production of Dr. Marcia Chatlin and Alex Tyson. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and only the speakers. Join us on Twitter at Office Hours Pod.